listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. Welcome to church, church, this morning. So good to see you. Our topic today is, and our goal or our vision for the whole year is called Pressing On. Have you ever wanted to give up? Yeah, go ahead and admit it. Someone asked me one time, Brother Ken, do you ever want to resign? Yeah, I said yes every Monday morning. You know, it's um, the Christian life is a battle. We know that there's victory, right? Because uh, Jesus Christ has won the victory for us. But in the battle and in the struggle, things sometimes get difficult. They really do. And we, um, we have those times in our lives where we just don't know if we can take another step. Some of you are at that place today. Some of you have just left that place. And some of you are headed to that place. I want to read to you passage from Philippians chapter 3. It's a passage we're going to be looking at, and this is the theme for our year, pressing on 2022. The Apostle Paul is addressing the church at Philippi, and he's writing to them, talking, in fact, you can outline the entire book of Philippians with the word fellowship. And the fellowship that he's going to talk about here today is one that you and I really don't want to partake in. But it's a part of the believer's life. And here he is is exhorting the church at Philippi that to know Christ is the most important thing that you will ever, ever discover. It doesn't matter how much training or education or vocational skills or how much retirement you have or how much wonderful things you have on this earth. Nothing will ever bring satisfaction like knowing Christ. Listen to these words. That I may know him. How? In the power of his resurrection, and here it comes, and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If, I like these conditional clauses, if by any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. That I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward 
the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now what is, what is Paul encouraging or exhorting the church at Philippi here about? The first thing he talks about here is the personal gain that comes from pressing on. If you don't get any other word out of this passage today, twice he talks about pressing on. Once he says reaching toward that high call of God in Christ Jesus. In other words, we cannot let the past determine us, determine who we are and where we're going. We cannot let the present do that. We have to continually press on. We cannot sit on our laurels and think that somehow we've made it. We can't let those great victories of the past and we can't let those great defeats of the past determine where we're headed in the future. We have to press on. The personal gain. Notice what he says in verse 10, that I may know him. What, what, is it, what is he saying here? Think about this. It's more than just salvation. When we consider the salvation truth, it leads to a consideration of the next step that God wants to do in us called sanctification truth. God wants to purge us. He wants, to, he wants us to conform us into the image of his son. And so here we have the secret, I believe, of the Christian life, and that is that I may know him. No one can live the Christian life without utter dedication to the life purpose of knowing Christ. In fact, I would say to you today that the Christian life is absolutely impossible to live without knowing Christ. And in the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And by the way, tonight, men, we're going to be studying about the work of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be a great study. Come be with us. You know, people have, that we look in the past, we see who have, who have lived single-minded devotion to some cause or something, such as Eliezer ben Yehuda dedicated himself to the goal of reviving the Hebrew language when it was lost and it was not a written language. Sir Edmund Hillary devoted himself to pressing up steep and treacherous mountain slopes to stand on top of Mount Everest. Christopher Columbus set his face like a flint to sail westward. And even though his men and his sailors tried to mutiny at least three times, he pressed on. In fact, the famous poem called Sail On, Sail On, Sail On was the theme of Christopher Columbus. What was the difference between Columbus and his crew? Why was Columbus saying, sail on, sail on? And how can Paul continue to say, press on, press on? Because there's a difference in someone who understands that they have a goal and a vision that they want to accomplish. And for you and me as believers, it is to know Christ. The difference between Columbus and his crew that in times of testing, the crew was ready to give up. And Christopher Columbus said, No, sail home. 
Paul's goal, his, his passion in life was to know Christ. You know, I've met thousands of people in the course of 40-something years now in ministry. Some I have forgotten almost instantly. <laughs> Some I've come to know by just a general acquaintance. But some I've come to know very well. Why? Because there are opportunities and things that we make choices from in our lives to get to know certain things or certain people. And we invest in people's lives and they invest in us and we get to know. You know, to know someone requires a real interest in that individual. And getting to know a person well involved spending time with that person. So if, we, if our goal is to know, if the personal gain that we can get from pressing on to know Jesus Christ, we've got to spend time with him. And building a, an intimate relationship is, is not the work of a day or two or 15 or 20 minutes a day. It's a lifetime, an association that's involved where you get to know but get to know Christ is our goal. Paul's goal was to know Christ. Just simple as that, to know Christ. Knowing him was his main goal in life. Nothing would take that place. And surely for you and for me, our personal goal, our personal gain should simply be, as Paul instructs us here, that surely for us too, there could be no greater goal in all of our lives. Let me ask you, what is your goal in life? What is our goal as a church? To just come on Sunday mornings and, 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 and enjoy some great singing and, and listen to some, some teaching and, and have fellowship together? All oh, those are wonderful. And I want to tell you, I look forward to Sundays. I don't know about you guys, but my whole week centers around Sunday. I told Matthew this week, I can't wait to preach this Sunday. What's, our, what's, our, what's your goal in life? Is it, is it to just make it through life doing our little religious things? Or is it to get to know? You can't know Christ if you neglect his church. You can't.
sanctification process must be stymied in your life because, listen, sanctification means that it is a progressive, ongoing, moving, present, active a part of what God is doing in your life as you walk in obedience, as you get to know Him, as you yield to Him, as you understand His Word, as you follow His Word, as you obey His Word, as you don't listen to just what your emotions say, you walk with God and you press on. And when you do, God is able to take that heart of obedience and submission and He's able to cleanse us and then, ultimately, he not only has dealt with our penalty of our sin, and he's dealing with us now in sanctification in the power of sin over us, but he is, thirdly, one day going to glorify us and remove us from the presence of sin. That ought to have been a great hallelujah there. I'm telling you, think about it. Let's talk about, what, what did he say? And the power of his resurrection, three things he says here. The power of his resurrection, that's how he wants to know him. And in the fellowship of his sufferings, second way he wants to know him. And being made conformable unto his death. Now here is quite a challenge. Notice the first result of knowing him is, that it is to understand and to enjoy and live in Christ's resurrection power. I want to just give you two examples. Peter. Impetuous Peter, foot in the mouth, Peter. Um, the guy who didn't know when to stop talking, Peter. The guy who would say things before his, his brain would get in gear, Peter. But Peter, the guy who looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, if that is you out there on the water, let me come to you. And Jesus said, come on, Peter, press on. Can you imagine Peter when he put his foot on that water? This is my picture of him. He's holding on to the boat. He steps out and he puts his foot on the water. And he's kind of holding the weight off. And then he starts applying a little bit of weight. Jesus, what did Jesus tell him? Look at me. And so when, Jesus, when Peter looked at, looked at Jesus, he stepped right out in the water and began to walk. Walking across that water to Jesus, looking at him, following him, letting his eyes direct him. And then all of a sudden, impetuous Peter kicked in. And he looked around at the guys in the boat. And he said, look. He took his eyes off of Jesus. And what happened? He started sinking. And you and I, if we're going to get to know Jesus, we have got to keep our eyes focused on him. What happened after Peter in all of his failures, denying Christ three times, the night of his crucifixion, or the night before his crucifixion, denying, uh, denying Jesus three times, running away, hiding, but then Jesus met 
resurrected Lord. And the power of the resurrection changed cowardly Peter to the man who would stand on the day of Pentecost and he would say, you generation of vipers, you crucified the Messiah and proclaimed the gospel like never before into a crowd that really didn't want to hear it. But because Peter had been changed by the power of the resurrection, he preached with a power that day that was greater than any army, greater than any, anything that could happen, greater than anything that the crowd could do him. He preached with power and the Holy Spirit of God and the power of the resurrection of Christ moved in such a way that thousands came to Christ because of the power of the resurrection. And Peter lived that life out. He came to know Christ in the power of the resurrection because when Peter was killed, history tells us that Peter was crucified on a cross. But as he was crucified and being crucified on the cross, he said to those who were crucifying him, he said, I am not worthy to die the same way that my Savior died. And they turned Peter upside down and crucified him upside down on the cross. That is the power of resurrection. Changed his life. And I want to tell you, when you came to know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, came to live within you, that is the same power that raised him from the dead. That is resurrection power. And you and I want to tell you, we ought to be so filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that if a mosquito comes by and bites us, he ought to go away singing, there's power in the blood. The resurrection power ought to change our lives. And then Thomas, Doubting Thomas, we call him. His name means twin. In other words, two different people. But Thomas doubted until what? He saw the resurrected Christ. And he bowed and he said, my Lord and my God. And Thomas, we know from, from church history, went into the area of Turkey and other places proclaiming the gospel like no one else had ever done. Changed his life. In fact, they talked about uh, Jesus here. His family talked about him. Others talked about him. But notice we talk about here Christ's rejected position. You know, he was rejected by three different areas he was first of all rejected with the animosity of his family in mark chapter 3 and verse 21 the bible says but when his own people heard about this they went out to lay hold on him for they said he is out of his mind and let me ask you this when you first got saved did some of your family think you had gone crazy mine did Honestly, some of my biological family thought I'd gone crazy, that I'd been brainwashed. And 
I hadn't been brainwashed. I'd just been washed in the blood. But the animosity of his family, not only the animosity of his family, but Jesus had to face also the alienation of his followers. When Jesus taught on the bread of life, remember that in John 6? He says, unless you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, unless you have the same baptism of which I've been baptized, he was talking about all of the suffering and all the issues that he had gone with. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall have no part of me. And it was said that that was a hard saying and that many left him that day. You know, many times people will, will have some type of emotional experience. They'll be, you know, they'll get, they'll get all emotionally tied up. The Holy Spirit of God will be working on their heart and they get all emotionally involved in something and when, when, they, when they, they want to make a decision for Christ and they make a decision out of emotions instead of out of a, a commitment to who Jesus is and when the emotions wear off, guess where the commitment goes? It wears off too. Listen, if you've got to have some type of hyped up situation to where you, you've got to feel a certain way before you can know the power of the resurrection of Christ, there's something wrong with your theology. If you think you've got to speak in some ecstatic language before you can really think that you, that you are in the, working in the power of the Holy Spirit, then there's something wrong with your theology. Listen, we need to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and that is for every soul that's ever trusted him, to walk with him, to talk with him, and let the power of the resurrection overcome every one of our inadequacies. But then, too, Jesus had to face the accusation of his foes. They slandered him from his birth. They charged him with being in league with Satan. They twisted his words. They hired false witnesses against him. Isaiah 53 and verse 3 said, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mark 3 and verse 2 talks about how that he healed on the Sabbath and they were ready to, to execute him because he, he healed someone on the Sabbath. But his rejected position. But notice third, Christ's redemptive passion. Here he talks about being made conformable to his death. Not only to know him, how in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering... Because if you live for Christ, you're going to have the same alienations and the same animosity and the same thing from your family, from your friends, from the community, from the religious people. You're going to face the same things, and that's a part of the suffering of being a believer. But then that last part, being conformed, being conformed to the image and to his death. If we get to know him and learn to lean on him, and his heart, I, you know, the, the greatest picture to me in the picture of the Lord's Supper is the one where John, the youngest of the disciples, and the one that from the Gospel of John, I think there was a little bragging going on there for John. He said that he, he identifies himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> 
I think probably it needs to be flipped. The disciple who loved Jesus. The picture that I like is, is John having, laying his head over on the chest of Jesus. You know, I remember when we were in the childbearing age, you know, the baby would start moving and Jan would say, feel this. I'd say, okay. I'd, I'd lay my head down on there, you know. Boom, you know. Or they'd roll around. That, that's, that is so powerful and exciting when that happens. But you know one thing I found too? That I could hear, I could hear Jan's heart beat. When we do that, and it was, it was like such a phenomenal connection that she was allowing me to be a part of what it means to be a mama. John putting his head over on the, the breast of Jesus, hearing the heartbeat of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. Christ's redemptive passion. John could hear the passion of Christ. You and I as well need to hear that passion. Then we see the perspective gain of pressing on. Verse 11, it says, If by any means, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. There's a word that's used here that's not used anywhere else in Scripture. It's the word that talks about uh, the resurrection. The word for resurrection is anastasis. But here the word is used ek anastasis. And when Paul is talking about here in uh, that he might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. He's not just talking about that one day he will be resurrected as all who believe in Christ will be. But he was talking about this. In, in fact, the word ex anatosis means out of the resurrection. He wanted, to be, he wanted to be such a part, that is, the resurrection out from the dead as distinguished from the resurrection of the dead he had no doubt, Paul didn't whatsoever, that he was going to be included in the general resurrection, but he wanted to be a part of something that was greater than a general re resurrection. He wanted to experience it now, and he wanted to be able to have everything that the power of the resurrection meant. And he uses the word attain, and it means simply this, that that was his goal, that it was his desire. The out-resurrection will perhaps be the beginning of some type of special honor or, or, or an, an this whole issue of having learned what it means to walk in that power. And those who have known the fellowship of his sufferings and been conformed to his death, I believe will understand what this out resurrection is all about because he says in the verse following that it is the high calling of God then we see Paul's projected goals gains and goals from pressing on he assesses the goals realistically 
says, not as though I had already attained, either were made perfect. He said, I hadn't made it yet. Now think about what all Paul had done by this time. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you'll see where Paul is defending his apostleship, and you'll see all the stuff that he went through. He was beaten five times with 39 lashes. He was lost at, at the sea for over 24 hours. He was rejected by his own people. He was lied about. He was stoned uh, and left for dead. And on and on he lists all of those things that were there. But you know what he says at the end of that? He says, I count all those things as dung. Human waste. Compared to the power of the resurrected Christ. So we need to assess our goals realistically. We're not there yet. We're, we, hey, listen. God's not finished with you. I don't care where you've been or what you've done or who you did it to. God is not finished with you. God, if he has saved you and redeemed you, he has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it doesn't matter how far you've wandered away from God. It's simply one step back in the right direction to come home. Come to Jesus. He has not only forgiven your past sin, but your present sin and your future sin. But you must acknowledge it, repent of that sin, and come to Christ. Listen, he has a plan for you. You have not sinned away your day of grace, as someone would say. Grace, grace, God's grace, greater than all of our sin. It's not cheap grace. But it's grace that is greater than anything that can happen. No one as long, let me see, do this. Are you still breathing? Then the grace of God can still keep you. And the grace of God can still take your feet and turn them around and get them in the right direction. But you must repent and come back and live in that power of the resurrection, being conformed to his death. Assess your goal. Assess where you are realistically. Are you where God wants you to be? Are you doing what God wants you to do? Are you serving like God wants you to serve? Are you living like God wants you to live? And if you're not, if those are not the, the affirmative in those things, then you need to reassess realistically. Where am I? Am I just sitting on my blessed assurance, hoping that, that the grace of God will save me regardless? Paul wrote, Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect. I'm not perfected. I'm not, I'm not complete yet. So he assessed his position. Can you look at all the stuff that he did? And he is here he's saying, It's not enough. I'm still alive. I've got work to do. We'll work till Jesus comes. But then we need to assess the goals resolutely. Notice what verse 12 says. I follow after it that I may apprehend that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. In other words, 
how Christ pursued me, I want to pursue him, and I want to pursue others with the message of the gospel. Simple as that. And then third, assess the goals rationally. Two things he says here in verse 13. He talks about a full stop. He said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. In other words, no matter what we've done, listen to some of the things that, that he had done. He had... He was embodying the concepts of spiritual truth. He had the most exalted views of Jesus Christ. He gave us the book of Romans, the great theodicy of, of Paul, laying out the absolute whole plan of God's salvation. And then the dynamics of a Christian living and church growth. He planted churches in every known city in Asia, every major known city in Asia Minor, and, and others all around the world because he was willing to listen to God and to know Christ and to follow him, being conformed to his death, being willing to sacrifice and do whatever it was to get the gospel out. Well, here's, here's the way I rewrote that verse. This is my paraphrase. I do not think I have grasped all there is to grasp. I have not arrived yet. Every day, we should wake up with this vision. Lord, I'm here reporting for duty. What do you have for me today? Where are we going today, Lord? Who are we going to talk to today, Lord? How am I going to be able to know you more today, Lord? And then he says a full stop, but the last thing he says, a fresh start. Thank God for fresh starts. He gives us two things. The plan, this one thing I do. What's the plan to have a fresh start? This one thing I do. How many things? Say it. One thing. Forgetting those which are behind and those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. The past is the past. Thank God that it is. Paul had touched two continents for Christ. But you know what? He was saying, I've touched two continents for Christ. But what about the other continents? What about Africa? What about those old other continents that are out there that have not been that have not heard the good news of the gospel. I've got to press on. I can have a fresh start. I can't depend on what I've done in Asia Minor. That's been great, but I've got to press on. And you and I, we can't sit on our laurels and think that because we have done this or done that or we've reached this or reached that or we've accomplished this or accomplished that those are past we've got to press on the work is still there the fields are widened to harvest D.L. Moody said this it's better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things I dabble with and that's where most of us are we're just a bunch of dabblers. But then there's the prize. I press toward what? The mark for the prize. What is the prize? The high calling of God in Christ Jesus. 
There is nothing greater, nothing higher, nothing more. The high calling of God or the high call of God or the calling on high. All those original words can be variously rendered. But Paul wanted to be a way out front, out, out of the resurrection individual. Abraham! God says, you're going to have a son. And through him will come the promised Messiah. Okay, God. Forty years later, no child. He was given that promise when he was around 60 years old. At 100 years old, the promise came. Now, I don't think I have to give you all a biological or biology lesson here this morning. But 100 years is just a little beyond childbearing age. Can you imagine the shock of Sarah? 40 years he waited to get to the promised land. 40 years he waited for the answer or the promised seed. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. We don't want to wait four minutes for God to do something. 40 years. You know what Abraham did? He pressed on. Sarah. You're going to have a baby. Lord, <laughs> she laughed. Most of you ladies would have cried, I think. She waited, and God put a baby in her arms. She pressed on. Joseph, thrown in the pit, sold by his brothers, went from the pit to the prison to finally the palace. Why? Because Joseph pressed on. Moses, he got to the Red Sea, murmuring Israelites behind him. Threatening his life. Saying, you brought us out here to kill us. Moses pressed on. He did not listen to the murmuring. Job. Lost his wealth. Lost all of his children. And had a wife that said to him, curse God and die. Job pressed on. Joshua, taking Moses' place, how would you like to do that? Joshua, wherever you go and put your feet, that will be your land. This book of the law, Joshua, 
shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate in it day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have great success. And Joshua led the children of Israel into the conquest and took the promised land. But he couldn't do that if he hadn't pressed on. Daniel. got dropped into the den of a bunch of ang uh, hungry, hangry uh, lions. But he pressed on. David, as he's walking toward Goliath, picks up five rocks because the cowardly army behind him would not face and David said, who, do they, who does this uncircumcised Philistine think he is? He is messing with God. He picks up five stones. He starts swirling his sling. He lets go and he hits Goliath right between the eyes. Knocks him down, runs over, cuts his head off. And then stands up and says, I got four more stones. Anybody else want to try me? Now, that's my perception there. The scripture doesn't say that. If you study the scripture, you'll find out that Goliath had four either brothers or cousins or uncles that were the same thing. They were all giants. He was going to take care of them. Why? Because he, David, pressed on. Isaiah, Hebrews 11 tells us that Isaiah was put into a hollow log and sawed in two. But he pressed on. Jeremiah was put in stocks and bonds in a muddy, miry pit up to his arms. But he pressed on. I can't help myself, he said in Jeremiah chapter 20. Lord, I'm not going to preach another time. I will never preach your word again. Oh, but God, your word is like a fire in my bones. And he pressed on. Hosea. Hosea. Go marry a prostitute that's going to leave you. Have children by her, and she'll leave you, and she's going to leave you, and she'll go back out in her adulterous ways. And that will be a picture to the nation of Israel. But Hosea pressed on. He went to the market, the slave market of sin, and not only did he buy Gomer, but he bought her out of the slave market of sin. He pressed on. Jonah. He smells something fishy. But he pressed on. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Peter locked in a prison. Started singing Amazing Grace, I believe. And the doors flew open because Peter pressed on. Lazarus came out of the dead, the greatest enemy that Satan had against all of us that Jesus had won victory over because he pressed on. Hannah, who Samuel thought was drunk, 
Because she was so intensely praying for a child. She wanted a child to be able to honor God with that child. And she was barren and couldn't have a child. But then God blessed her with a child. And she dedicated that child to God because she pressed on. Samuel became a great prophet. Peter walked on water. Denied Christ three times. Some of you today... Some of you today have literally gone through hell over the past weeks or months in your life, your personal life. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost your spouse, your family. Some of you have lost your health. Some of you are, are hiding like in a cave because, because you're... That you have been so convinced by the, by the issues of this world that you have to live your life in fear and you don't have the power of the resurrected Christ living in you. I want to say to you today, if your spouse has left you, press on. If you've lost your job, say it with me, press on. If you don't know where, where to take the next step, press on. If you don't know who you can trust, press on because God will always be with you. If you don't know where you're going to go next week, press on. Whatever it takes, press on. Don't give up. Press on. If there's sin that needs to be repented of, repent of it and then press on. If there's a commitment you need to make, then make that commitment and press on. Listen, you will, it, when you make a commitment to Christ, just like Pastor Matthew preached last week, it is a blank check. You don't go with Monty Hall and play, let's make a deal with God. You sign it all over to him. And when you do, you say, I'm going to trust you, Lord, through everything and all things. And I'm going to press on no matter what. And that's what we want to do as a church. Press on. That's our vision for the whole year. Press on. Say it with me. Press on. Say it again. Press on. Say it again. Press on. Why? Because we want to be conformed to the image of, his, of our Savior, Jesus Christ and God's Son. We want to be in the fellowship of His suffering. We want to be made conformable unto His death so that we may know Him. And when we know him, he will change our lives. He will change our church. He will change our community. And he will change this county. He will change this state. He will change the United States. Listen, our enemy is not the government. Our enemy is not Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, even though I disagree with, I even disagree with their, their smiles. I disagree with everything that they say. But they're not my enemy. We forget who our enemy is. Our enemy is Satan. And he wants us to get so sidetracked and so discouraged and so overwhelmed. Listen, this pandemic is not our enemy. Let's use it for God. He didn't come here without coming through the permissive will of God anyway. Because if we believe in the sovereignty of God, we know that nothing comes to us that does not first come through his permission to us. So why do we hide from it? 
Let's use it for the Lord. Let's press on. And if you're not saved today, you've got one thing that you need to do, and that is trust Christ. If God is dealing with your heart today, right now, open your heart and say yes to Jesus. Repent of your sin and come to him in faith, believing who he is, confessing, agreeing with God, who he is, who you are, and what your need is. And your need is Christ. And church, if you've been a little wishy-washy in your walk, it's time to cut out the nonsense. We need to stop playing church because the devil is playing for keeps. And there are people dying and going to hell all around us. So church, I want, in, I want to encourage you, exhort you. Get serious about coming to know Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together, for your word, for the truth that Paul gives us here about knowing you in the power of your resurrection. Um, Lord, in the fellowship of your suffering and being conformed to your death. May that, Lord, be our goals as well. And we trust you and thank you as decisions will be made today uh, that they glorify you and to edify the body of Christ. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.